0: Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And on this week's episode, we welcome the Vice Provost for Integrative Learning and Life Design, Dr. Farouk Day. Um, no matter what your background is, I know this is a podcast focus mostly on education leaders and future leaders, um, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what stage of life you're in, this is a fascinating conversation. Uh, Farouk is in charge of life design. His job is to teach life design for a living, which seems interesting because we work in a, a field where you know, we're, we're talking about how to uh, set a mission for your life and find your passion for your life. And he said something that I found pretty interesting. He said, um, he believes the idea of finding passion is flawed. He believes you construct your passion by following your curiosity. So you need to ask yourself what you're curious about. Uh, avoid asking yourself what you're passionate about, which is the first time I've heard anyone say that to me. I think I've personally always leaned into the, let's find your passion, but really that passion is sparked by curiosity. So that's just one of the, the thought-provoking uh, paths we went down. Another one, you, know, you talked about how the World Economic Forum says 85 million jobs are gonna be eliminated in the next five years, and that 97 million new ones that don't exist today will likely be created um and what are we to do about it and so we dive in about what does that mean for each of us you know whether we're in the career stage of our life or you know his job is working at john hopkins university in the career planning stage of life um this this episode is just full chock full of a really interesting conversation and all sorts of insights um i'm going i mean i I was so moved from this conversation that Uh, I'm going to go visit him in person here shortly. So I I just would encourage you. Um, if you've been a loyal listener and listen to uh, a number of our podcasts, this is a really, really cool conversation. I would encourage you to lean in. So as always, thanks for making time to be here. Appreciate your support. Um, again, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Uh, we appreciate all the support we can get. So enjoy this conversation. This is one that, uh, I will never forget. So Dr. Day, I appreciate you making time to join us here today. I know that, um, you know, the one question that we ask everybody and we start every episode with is, who are you and why do you love what you do?
1: It's a pleasure to be with you uh, today, Dustin. Thanks so much for inviting me and hello to everyone who's uh, tuning in. Um, I teach life design for a living and I get the gift to not only teach it, but also to implement the tools uh, at a university-wide level. Uh, so I lead teams that, uh, that do the same, that teach life design. And the way we think about life design is that it's the opposite of career planning. We're essentially trying to create a culture where we no longer ask people, what do you want to do with your life? We're essentially asking them, what are you curious about? And get them to act on that curiosity. And I get to do that for a living. So, you know, in my job gets me to, that gives me an opportunity to talk to people all the time about their lives and their career trajectories and their hopes and what they wanna do in the future and the skills that they develop. And uh, you know, we get to give them advice and uh, create the experiences and the relationships that help them get there. So it's very rewarding. And in that journey, I'm able to sort of do a ton of other things that relate to technology and, uh, uh, and and teaching and leadership that that I really enjoy. And I'm really grateful to be able to do all of that at Johns Hopkins. So I want to just really give a shout out to an institution that has been um, brave enough to just take these ideas and say, yeah, let's go. Let's create all of this culture at a university wide level. And, I I say this because higher education tends to be so risk averse and takes a lot of time to implement new things. But Hopkins was uh, brave enough to say, "Let's uh, uh, really try this and and see what and see what happens."
0: So let's let's actually go there first. Uh, I, I watched. Um, an hour and a half long uh, YouTube clip of you at Columbia talking to, uh, I guess, other folks that were in your industry um, about career planning and support. And so you used a quote to start one of the sessions or one of the parts of the sessions. That was a, a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, where it said, do not go where the path may lead, but go where there is a path and leave no trail. And I feel you just hinted that like there's risk aversion in your industry how were you able to muster the courage to live out that way and be successful? Because I think what holds people back from taking those routes are, you know, they feel like they may not muster the courage or they feel like it'll, they'll get fired if they try to chart their own path. Yeah. You know, I think it's the,
1: it it comes first from just being staying really true to those values we really believe in. And, um, um, work on just the, the personal narrative. I mean, I had worked on this personal narrative for a long time where I believe um, the right approaches to career development are and how people grow in their careers and how they grow personally and professionally. And um, I tried not to do what most of us perhaps are advised to do, which is to adjust our narrative based on the opportunity that in front of us because sooner or later, you're going to have to default back to what, what, what you feel is, is really right. So I, I stuck with that. And eventually, I mean, you bump into walls sometimes. You bump into people who don't get it. And then that's your signal that that's not the right organization for you. But then eventually it just clicks because it's just heard. The message that you have just crafted over time and it so perfectly after a while is, is heard so clearly and loudly by the right organization at the right time. So that's one. And I think, too, it it often happens at the moment of the when that organization has the greatest need. So in both cases at Stanford and at Hopkins, they reached out to me and I went through that recruitment process during a time when they really wanted to solve a problem. And what I was offering in terms of not only narrative or approach or philosophy, uh, but also potential solution Really resonated as potentially something different that they could be known for, and that they could um, um, they could address that. So it comes back to maybe even just you know, just the bottom line of what what life design is about. How do it's about getting lucky in these things, but really you create luck by um, committing to the work that you do, and then uh, positioning yourself so that you're in the right place at the right time, and then they hear it. So there was, you know, two years earlier, Hopkins wouldn't have heard my uh, my narrative so clearly, but it was just the right time when they really needed the solution to their problem,
0: and I happened to be there. Yeah, to your point, like, to, to I'm going to synthesize what I hear, uh, given my question, is, you know, if, if someone is worried about, uh, losing their job from you know charting their own path. I mean, obviously there's strategic ways to do it to where it's not offensive to the folks you're working with, but you're looking for the right place and time for where your ideas and your head and your heart match with another organization's vision, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of um, um, sort of an exercise of not con- constantly just chasing a, 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 a constantly moving target. Okay. Instead, you just really get uh, focused on um, the narrative and the work and the philosophy and the approach and make it really good. And eventually it'll align perfectly with the target instead of just constantly having to, to, to chase different things. And this can be applied to... Um, developing new approaches for universities or for schools or at work, but also it can it can apply to someone wanting to figure out what their next step is in their career. And if they just spend do more of the internal work and develop exactly their own life story and their skills and what they want to do, and, uh, and then they put it out there, eventually it'll align with the right uh, type of opportunity.
0: So I'm not going to, I'm not sure if I can re- uh, tell your you know story or your the quote that you use at the beginning of this interview as well as on a TEDx I got to see you give. Um, but you boldly tell your audience that, you know, stop looking and I'm going to say it this right. Stop looking for um, your life's purpose in a way or stop, you know, stop asking students what they want to do with their lives. To me, that seems like a really unique approach given that, you know, your position a lot of times is to help a lot of folks figure out what they're going to do with their lives and a lot of paradigms about going to higher ed institution like John Hopkins or others uh, is, okay, well, what's that going to lead to? How, how did you land there and why is it so important that we stop asking those questions? Um, and what should we be asking instead? Well, well, first
1: I, I, I have to also accept the, f- the, the fact that it's really counterintuitive as a message and as a, um, a, 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 an approach. And, it is also even more challenging to deliver in front of a room of uh, parents of students, for example, or uh, especially those who are paying really high tuition bills who are saying, now what, (laughs) I need to see the return on, on investment. So there's a little bit of a counterintuitive there, but I think all we have to do is just remind people, how did you end up where you are today? And how far are you from those initial plans that you had put in your head in your teens or in your early twenties when you were thinking about what you want to do in your, in your, in your life? I mean, Dustin, the work that you're doing today, did you imagine you would be
0: doing it when oh. you were in college or, or earlier? You you hit me right in the head of that TEDx because uh, I had a unique moment of inspiration uh, in college that took me from going, you know, I was graduating uh, with the top of my business class and thought I was going to go work for this consulting firm. Yeah. And my heart was inspired to go into teaching. And it's, since then, it led to all these other opportunities, but never in a million years would I think I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. But I could not be happier, more happy doing anything else. Like I am perfectly in the spot of like my passion. I think my skill sets.
1: Very good. So, and and the way you landed there is through the process of experimentation, experience, trial and error, connections with people, you broaden your network, but it all came from a place of where you started to act on curiosity. You you were curious about things and you you gave yourself permission to try them out and to see what happens. And sometimes it fails, sometimes it succeeds, but throughout the process, you develop skills, you broaden your networks, you learn more about yourself. So the story that you just told me about just your own career path, I had heard thousands of times in my two decades of experience working with people on their own life journey. And then eventually I started to realize, especially when I started to talk with people who were in their mid-careers or later on, and are, and I was comparing people who are fulfilled versus those who aren't and I'm realizing that we are really given the wrong advice at the beginning of someone's journey we're we're having them f- try to predict what they will be in the future we're giving them all these types of assessments to try to get them to understand who they are but they're barely learn- learning uh, th- these types of things so instead I started to realize that it's really just not a matter of uh, predicting the future and predicting where you will be but it's a matter of um, uh, acting our curiosity so here's Here's how I'm, I'm um, um, here's where I landed with this, Dustin. I think most of us try to think about career and life uh, from a planning perspective, you know, like decide on a goal, have a vision for your life and then create a plan for it. And it gives us uh, uh, the illusion that we have control over where we're headed. But, but it's actually, we know now, we have plenty of data that tell us that it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. And then the other, the what we have found is that when we ask people, how did you land where you are? Often they um, talk about luck, serendipity. They say it's by some type of chance, I met the right person in the right place where I happened to be in this right environment. And then the, the right doors open for me. And somehow I couldn't imagine myself talking to a room of parents of students telling them your kid is going to get to where they need to be through luck. That was, that was just not going to be an appealing message, right? Like there's got to be something behind their serendipity that's going to happen. We started to look into where do those lucky events come from? And they happen because the per anytime you think of a lucky event in your life, there was action that happened before that you took action and you enrolled in a degree, you attended a workshop, you went to a program you uh, participated in some type of work experience you volunteered you did an internship you you know there are just there is an experience and there are people you connected with and usually those are tied to your curiosity and that's what's going to get you to that level of inspiration you're not going to just sit in your room and get inspired out of just nothing you're going to have to go and join a community connect with people and interact and gain experience fail sometimes succeed sometimes really engage and that's how you're going to take your curiosity you're curious about anything and you're going to you're going to move it up a notch to an area of inspiration and then when you're inspired you're going to have to act on it fairly quickly so that it's it's not interrupted that inspiration is not interrupted by the uh the the daily life uh that that, that happens Um, So that's when we started to think like, it's actually, what if we provided that in uh, college or in, uh, or at schools and we gave students or people the opportunity to act on curiosity, to, uh, to, to take a chance, to uh, take some risks. And that's, that's what we're trying to do at Johns Hopkins. But I think, honestly, that's how I'm trying to live my life, too, is uh, if I'm curious about something, I'm going to try to move fair, fairly forward and be comfortable with not knowing where it's going to lead. So that quote that you saw um, means a lot to me. I mean, I also think of the, the quote from by Joseph Campbell, that if, um, uh, if the path before you is uh, clear, you're probably on someone else's. So it's not about trying to find blazed trails for you to go and and walk on. It's about just blazing your own trail somehow and being comfortable not knowing where it's going to lead. But you know that you're blazing it based on serious foundations of curiosity, of personal interests, and you're, you're growing it as you go. So the last thing I'll say about this, to Dustin, is that most of us might think that we need to go and find our passion somewhere out there. Right. The idea of finding passion cannot be more faulty than, than that. It's because your passion isn't just out there in the street for you to, to, to find. It's not a scavenger hunt. You construct your passion. You develop it and you grow it. And you do that through experiences, by developing skills, by getting good at what you do, by developing networks, and then by getting rewards from that experience. And, that, and those rewards can come in many ways. And then that's how you develop passion is by moving your areas of curiosity into inspiration and getting good at what you do and having some level of impact, getting rewarded for it. And then now you're passionate and the way to sustain that passion is to transition into a given back mode. Now you're passionate enough that you want this to benefit more people, to help other people to get that level of passion.
0: Yeah, so I, I think... Uh... One of the things I think about, you know, I was a teacher, a coach. I I work for an organization that is motivated to help people fulfill their potential each and every day. And hearing you talk, I already think about the mirror in front of myself about the number of times I've probably told someone, just follow your heart, follow your passion. And while there may be some sincerity and depth behind it, what action can someone take? And so I think it's, it's great to hear you say that. And my question to you is, whether it's a student, you know, both of us have three kids. So whether it's a young student, like you have an elementary school or high school or college, or uh, it's an adult listening to this, um, what, how, how do we start kind of exploring that curiosity possibly so that we can stumble into our passion at some point? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the first
1: thing I'll say is that I have yet to meet someone who tells me that they're, they don't know what they're curious about. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that and that's why I think I want to ask that as a first question is because there's always an answer to that the harder question to answer that I try not to that I try to avoid is what are you passionate about and that's when you start to see people twist into pretzels because they don't know how to to answer that question um, I try to avoid answer asking the, the, the people questions about what are they interested in uh, what do they love to do look these are all the wrong questions I want to ask what are you curious? about and curiosity comes from l- little participation and lit- literal participation in in a subject matter and that can happen by looking at things on your phone it can happen you know very passively from just watching something on TV or on, on a computer or reading an article or a book but it can also happen from um, or in um, in course of conversations, or in classes, you know, you take a course that you might not be interested in, and then you, you you're you're uh, exposed to a, a certain subject, and then you you start to get uh, to develop some sort of curiosity about it. Um, yeah, this is why you know when we ask people, "What do you want to do?" By the way, um, this is a question that I absolutely want to avoid a- asking. What do you want to do when you grow up? Um, They often what do they tell you that they give you like professions that they see on TV a lot, right? You know, uh, uh, private investigator, doctor, you know, like whatever show is is popular in that uh, during that time. They're literally telling you, "I am curious about that." Not what I want to do is uh, be an ER doctor like uh, Grey's Anatomy. They're just saying, "I'm seeing doctors on TV. It looks interesting. I'm curious about that." And uh, that's that's really their response and. The best way to do this is to allow them to experiment with that. Well, go and try that out. Not try to be in the ER, but actually go talk to people who do that kind of work. Read more about it. Maybe uh, do some volunteering, experiment about it. Talk to people who are in medical school. That's just at a very basic level. So when we ask people, what are you curious about? They, they will tell you. So I, I do this now with my own kids. And um, I I try to attend to their areas of curiosity, whether it's uh, uh, building Legos or uh, art or drawing or music. And uh, what I say is like, this is their chance to go and experiment with that as much as possible. So that can happen in classes, maybe joining some groups or some clubs or some communities, getting them some books about those materials, taking them to camps that uh, give them that, that, that experience. And then watch and see what happens. They'll either That curiosity either intensifies or they lose it. And either or, it's good data for you to move to the next level. If they lose it, then, okay, what's the next thing you're curious about? But if it intensifies, how do we now just step it up a notch and, and, um, and give you more experiences and more connections so that you can gain more skills and, and turn that curiosity into excitement, into passion, into inspiration mm-hmm. so that you can move it forward?
0: Yeah. One of the, one of the things that you said about, um, you know, going from inspiration to make an audacious, uh, audacious, like change in your life. Yeah. And when I think about uh, what happened to me. And again, this podcast, not about me, it's about all of your great ideas. But when I think, I mean, it hit me re- really hard hearing you say that yeah. because I think about, I'd read a book called the purpose driven life, right. About that summer. It kind of set a new paradigm for my life. I then, so that gave, gave me some courage and some foundation that I needed to like, shift anywhere, right? Um, I then got exposed to uh, some of my teammates from high school failing out of college and recognizing that the schools they went to looked different than mine. And that seemed like something I wanted to fix. And it wasn't fair that super talented kids weren't being successful in college because of the, the preparation education they had prior to going to college. And so I was like, I've got to get into teaching. And I just felt it. Like, I felt like I saw a flyer. I'm like, I'm going to do this. But like, how, how do we like I, that? That's kind of helpful for folks to like inspire people. You know, that's how my life went. Now you go try it. How, how do we help people? You know that you've talked about curiosity leads to inspiration. How do we mm-hmm. help people get to that? Take a leap of faith now. Uh, jump off and try And taking a leap of
1: faith is exactly what, you know, what I'm calling audacious move. It's, it's, it speaks to that level of risk taking. And, you know, when I try to analyze um, what differentiates people who seem to reach that high level of success uh, that matches their, their sense of fulfillment, you know, so it's not just external uh, impressions of success based on titles or money, but they're truly fulfilled in their careers and their lives. I often see that there, there is a high profile of risk-taking, that these are people who are willing to take risks. And that's why it shows up in entrepreneurs, for example, really high. But it's not just entrepreneurs. It's people who uh, have done all sorts of things, you know, that have decided to go write a book or compose a, a song or, um, uh, or just, you know, commit to a career in arts or to start a restaurant or a startup or whatever their cause or their mission is there is a certain level of risk and taking risks is glamorous uh, or sounds glamorous, glamorous, but it's really hard to do. And it's harder. De- it can get harder depending on your life circumstances. So when we speak to your audience here, it's a broad diverse audience with people from all sorts of backgrounds. And um, some of them have life circumstances that make risk taken really hard to do. Um, You know, because they have economic issues or health issues or whatever it is, you know, that that may present as barriers in front of them. So when I try to think of that, I try to think of what we what can be in place to try to make the that leap of faith more possible for everybody. And uh, this is why, you know, what I've, what I've talked about in that, in that TEDx that you mentioned, but also what we try to do in our work um, is implement this sense of mentoring around us. Like if we create a culture of mentoring in whatever we are, in our communities, in our schools, in our churches, in our organizations, then we we try to make we we make it possible for people to take some risks that we create a little bit of a safety net because without it that's when you're going to end up having a culture of haves and have nots as i say about it is that there's some people some are more able to take risks than others so as a matter of advice to people who are who, who know who are inspired and ready to go what they need more than anything else at that point is um, a network of support underneath them, some type. You know, so for us who are educators or who are in positions where we can do this, we can create those uh, those networks of support and through mentoring, etc., um, to try to make it more possible. But for the individual themselves, what they can do is go seek it out. Before you jump um, jump off and take that leap of faith, find a couple of people who can be uh, who can offer unwavering support to you
0: as you take this big risk. So let's, no. let's go there personally. Like you, You're from uh, Algeria, is that right? I am. Um, okay, so when you came here, did you come here uh, to the United States with undergrad, grad, or did you come here prior to that? I came here with uh, for, for undergrad okay. with very
1: little resources. And I mean, there was like the ultimate leap of faith.
0: Right, so uh, uh, my, my background in college, I... I have a good friend named Wilfred Job who introduced me to the, he's from India, introduced me to the International Students Association. And so my heart from sophomore year to senior year was understanding what it was like to come in from different perspectives to our university, right? And the one thing I can tell you is you just talked about risk aversion you know, they were, they were there were there a lot of folks that took a lot of risks at seeing, but it was very calculated. How were you able to muster up the courage or who helped you or what helped you muster up the courage to follow your path? Yeah. Yeah. Michelle, so I think that's a really good question. I mean, for me, I mean,
1: I, I came at the age of 18, I think, or, or 19 here for college. I had gone, I had attended two years of college already, um, in Algeria and, um, um I uh, w- was looking for opportunities to go study abroad for a couple of reasons. And I think I'm, I share them because I want to share them because they matter in this conversation of motivation, what gives us that motive. One is the the intense curiosity about what's out there and about educational systems and other cultures. And then second, I w- w- was in the country at that time that was going through a civil war. So the possibility of imagining my own life and uh, my growth and my development was nearly impossible in an environment that we you know, every day we're thinking about life and death situations. So those were motivators, clearly. So even if you're not a huge risk taker, you become one in order to escape the situation that you're in. Uh, so there's a little bit of escapism there. You know, and, and then I, I was fortunate enough. I mean, I had applied that in enough places uh, not only for admission, but also for financial support, and this was during a time when I there was no access to internet. You know, like it was in the mid '90s, so it was all done through uh, going to the library every day and making copies of things, of resources, and then uh, sending applications. Not speaking English at the time, or having mastery of the English language, so having to do a lot of translation work, and eventually was able to find an opportunity to get here and uh, uh, have some funding to get it started, not for the entire thing, but that was enough to just get started. That's the thing. Like, I mean, I think that we can learn from is you don't have to have it all mapped out perfectly. I didn't have, I certainly didn't have enough um, uh, funding secured for the entire time I was going to be uh, in the United States, but I said, if I can get it going for a year (laughs) or possibly two, once I'm there, I'll figure out the next thing. And, And that's exactly what happened, is that the the next opportunity will come to you. But the idea is you get started. Um, So taking these leaps of faith matter. The second thing that relates to what I said earlier is finding the people who are going to support you through this. You can't do it alone. You can't. I mean, no one can. I couldn't. So my leap of faith involved finding people as, as soon as I got here to teach me, mentor me. I mean, this, this goes back to an old lady named Louise in the cafeteria. That was my first job in the United States. I worked in the cafeteria. They wouldn't, you know, Dustin, they wouldn't put me in the, um, in the serving line, serving food, because they didn't speak English. So they put me first, uh, recycling boxes in the back. And, you know, I, I mean, I was doing that. This is the cafeteria in, in, on campus. And Louise was an Italian lady, bless her heart, uh, told me, okay, I'm going to teach you how to say all of these foods so that we can, you can eventually serve, be on the food line. And that's what I really, what I wanted because I wanted to engage with people so that I can improve my speaking language, uh, languages. So every day she would come and she'll say, Farouk, this is a strawberry and this is a potato. And and she would say all of those things and I would repeat after her. And, um, um, uh, I, I will never forget that is that you find people like Louise or like Jim afterwards, who also taught me some of the, the 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 language skills and how to work in that cafeteria. And then eventually, like you get promoted into a server line and into other opportunities until you you find your path. You can't do it alone. You have to find the people who are going to make it possible for you to take more risks to try. To try things out, so you're going to have to tap into that network. And where you find those people, uh, you know, there are good people everywhere, all all around us. So join a group or a community, um, and um, and talk a little bit about your dreams, and you'll you'll find eventually somebody who's going to want to want to give you a chance.
0: Well, I I love that uh, uh, example, just because it's like you know, coming back to yours. Instead of go find your passion, get curious, and find people. Right, like I feel like those things. It may take some time, right? But if you get curious and you find the right people and get connected with the right people, things can change. Um, you spent your whole career. I mean, the fact that you say what you do as a life design is pretty incredible. I want, do you want to continue to dive into that in a second. Um, I, I assume you know you've helped a lot of folks chart their career path or their future in life. Um, from your lens, what's the future of work, and what's the most important skills that? students and workers need to be successful for the next 20, 30, 50 years. I don't know, you're in this world, so I don't know how long the timeframe is going to be thinking about, but 20, 30, 50 sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm that, well, even the next five years are, are are changing quite a bit, and I would say mainly
1: because of COVID. The last two years have been um, um, paradigm shifting for for all of us and for, the, for the, the, the world of work. You know, just see how many people now are moving more towards remote work um, uh, options, so it's changing what it means to go to an office, to engage, to interact, look at how we're doing this talk today. Um, So here are some things that we already know. The the, uh, World Economic Forum is already predicting uh, a loss of 85 million jobs in the next five years, but a gain of 97 million jobs that don't exist today. This alone is a case for why you should do life design rather than career planning. Because if you're planning on a career or on a job that will not exist in five years, you are, (laughs) you are in trouble. Um, But instead you should design your life the way we were talking about, like, what are you curious about? And then find the ways to practice that in this evolving uh, 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 age that we're in, and then develop the networks around that and trust in the exercise that it will uh, that the road is going to to open up in front of you, uh, but build it based on curiosity rather than based on predicting. Um, so we already know that. We already know that half of the workforce um, today is going to have to reskill or upskill over the next five years. What are they uh, upskilling or reskilling to? It's technical skills uh, for, for the most part. Um, and um, it's uh, working with technology, working with machines. But I also would say that it's working with uh, with media and um, uh, with, you know, like the things that we're doing today. Um, uh, communicating via, via, via digital media is, is continuing to be huge. You look at the people who are developing entire careers just on TikTok these days. It's very interesting, you know, like this... Uh, they're realtors who are making a killing today because they're just becoming TikTok personality. They're just completely reinventing themselves that way. So there are all sorts of um, uh, examples that way. So 50% of the workforce is having to go through this process over the next five years. And uh, most of this reskilling and upskilling is th- does not require a four-year degree or even a two-year degree. These are three to six-month are um, s- skill development programs that people can go through, either boot camps or even just self learned. Yep. Uh, so I'm self taught. So when when I think of all of that, I think that that's where where it's at the future of work. We already also know that automation is what's behind killing all of those 85 million jobs. So think of any job that uh, involves more, for the most part tasks that can be uh, repeated. Then they can be automated. What that means is that it's the jobs that uh, required a lot of complexity in thinking and in behavior that you that are hard to really predict. Those are the ones that will either be born or will be further developed, and those tend to ha- to require emotional intelligence that require um, communication skills, problem solving uh, until the day when they come up with drones that do all of those. <laughs> but for now, that's what we're going to need Those, So that's what I would say to anyone really develop those skills. You know, my, my son hates the fact that I'm pushing him towards uh, speech and debate and public speaking classes, et cetera, but I'm pushing him towards those. and so you're going to have to take those, because they're going to matter a lot, even more. Dustin, even more those than necessarily coding classes, Ooh. although the coding skills are really important and they're going to matter a lot. And I'm not discounting those, but I'm saying like, be, continue to develop your humanities skills and your develop your um, your public speaking, your writing. He's in a writing program, so so is my daughter. So all of those are going to, to matter a lot as we uh, we move forward. The last thing I'll say is that the workplace is changing a lot and we're seeing it now with um, people moving uh, to remote jobs. Um, employers are accepting the remote work nature um, a lot more than they did two years ago. And um, um, and people are going to have to, to know how to work um, using technology the way we're doing now, you know, like using video conferencing and all of the tools online to get work done and to show results. I think the future of work is going to be a lot more about output than input. I'd say probably the... The past of work was a lot more about process. You know, like you know that someone is doing a good job if uh, their process of doing that job is clear and you can see through it and you can say, I'm happy with it. Yep. The future is really going to be about outcomes. Show me the results. I don't care how you how, what your process is. Um, it's about results and about outcomes. That's what, what it's, it's already mattering more now and it's going to matter even more in the
0: future. I'm going to tape that little clip for my wife just so we can talk because I'm sure she's over my lack of processes sometimes. And I always say, sweetheart, it's the outcomes. It's the outcomes. When I hear you say that, like I'm going to use a word that is intentionally trying to incite something in you, but it sounds like you're saying the soft skills or what we called them for a while are really important. I know you yeah. love that term. You want to tell me why you love that term? <laughs> because they're
1: really success skills, as I try to call them, or just really important skills. And I think soft skills has been, has, has, uh, is, is a terminology that uh, has been used to put it sort of in the, the backseat, um, of, uh, of the workstation that it's really, the, there are hard skills that are really tough to get and there are more important. Um, and, um, and I think they are, but I think these soft skills—if they mean that they are not really that important—then we we are wrong about that. And what you're, what we're going to continue to see is that the people who are going to have influence over what will happens um, in the future of work, and the people who are going to lead organizations of the future, and the people who are going to control the narrative around work in the future are going to be people who will excel at these soft skills, quote unquote, um, I'd rather dub them as success
0: skills. I like the term success skills. I think one of the things is when you call it soft skills, it doesn't seem to be that important, honestly. Yeah, I know that there are people who believe it's really important, but I feel like the term soft skills de-emphasizes how critical they can be to future success. And right. so I yeah. do like your term success skills. So I appreciate you let me uh, toss one up to you because I'm sure you're like, oh, soft skills again. I can't wait. <laughs> um, so you're on the forefront of developing Success, helping students develop success skills. And you have a really cool project that I think is coming to fruition or opening up is the right term, the Imagine Center um, that's that's coming up. Can you explain to the audience like what it is and what you're hoping to accomplish through that?
1: What we've uh, tried to do at, at, at Johns Hopkins over the last few years was to focus on the things that make it possible for every one of our students to design their lives. So we've already defined what life, what designing your life is, um, as we've, we've just discussed earlier, that it's about tapping into your curiosity and um, talking to people and broadening your network and uh, taking some risks and experimenting with it uh, and not worrying about where uh, where it's headed, just trust that it's going to take you uh, places. So what if we actually created a one-stop shop where you could do all of that? in one place, virtually and in building. So I I, uh, took over a uh, a building that was gonna get torn down actually, was uh, the the former Lacrosse Hall of Fame building. Um, And it was vacant at the time when we took it. And there were questions about what what the university would do with it. And um, we we took it over and we've been remodeling it uh, for the last two years. And we've turned it into what we are calling now the Imagine Center for Integrative Learning and Life Design. The emphasis is on life design here, but the integrative learning part is that we're going to integrate all of these experiences that are given chance to students to experiment, to try things out so that you can can come there to do internships, to do some undergraduate research, to volunteer, to uh, uh, go study abroad, uh, to work on a project with a faculty, and also to talk to people. So that's, that's, you know, our mentoring programs with our our alumni are going to be there. You're going to engage with companies and employers there. And by the way, you're going to have staff. Um, We call all of these life design educators who are going to be around you and who are going to support you through all of that. So the minute you come in there, it's not going to to feel like a clinic where you have to go and check in and sit in the, the waiting room. The entire building is accessible to you. You can go and hang out, study there, have some coffee, et cetera, and allow yourself to get curious, to experiment. We even have a room, Dustin, that's going to be a, a content creation room. You can go there and, uh, you know, you, you want to film some TikToks or create some 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 uh, uh, videos for, for for your personal brand or your website. We have that for you there. And uh, we're going to have a team of life design educators who are going to help you um, uh not only did the act on that curiosity, but turn it into inspiration. You know what I said earlier, when you're at that point of curiosity and you want to act on it and there's a little bit of a risk taking and you wish you looked around and you found someone who can encourage you, who can support you, who can say, I I, I got your back. Yep. That's the experience we want to create at the Imagine Center is that you come, you imagine it and you have a team around you that are, ready to say we got you you know we have platforms that are going to help you to do this we got an alum who did exactly the way what you're trying to do and he's going to help you do that we have uh, databases full of experiences that you can apply to whether they're internships or study abroad experiences or um, uh, uh, research projects that you can try to do that and by the way the the beauty of this is you have a very high chance of failing at experimentation, and it's gonna be okay. Actually, we want you to fail so we can learn <laughs> together, and we're gonna work through this. So you normalize failure. You don't you you get them to not be afraid of it. And if it requires resources, we're gonna to try to figure out if what what kind of resources we have to help you with that. We use some funding to make it possible for you to do that. All in in one building. So we're gonna open this Imagine Center in uh, uh, late spring of 2022. So just a couple of months, we're almost done with the design. Um, it's uh, looking beautiful. And the beauty of this is that we, we put together the entire design to be uh, a, a beautiful integration of, of technology and in, in person. One of the examples for the, uh, that it makes it, this building unique is that we made zero staff offices there. Like no one is going to have uh, to have a private office I'll be in that building. I will not have an office there. So it's completely open spaces. It's all for students. And then that way, the teams are team members are accessible. They're not hidden by doors and by offices. And you have to go check in with an assistant or a secretary to get there. I know for you, like you, you, you've you been a member of a board of trustees and you've, you've been involved in the, the um, at the college level and trying to design some of these things. What I'm describing to you sounds a little bit different from probably what you're used to. And that's the idea is that we're really trying to push the envelope and say enough of building things based on our organizational structures and on traditions and how we've done things at the university. Let's build something that's really exciting for students and um, and and works for them now and in the future. And then the pandemic hit and it validated every element of that design um, and it, it made it even more important now.
0: Mm. Well, I, I think as you're talking, I think about the people in my student life in college who impacted me, from Arlene Manty to JJ and a few other folks. Like I'm going to leave two people out, and start naming, but. They were so approachable, but yet the way the building was designed, you had to like go back through their assistant go in their room and they, they didn't mean it to be that way. They actually wanted to know why weren't more people reaching out to them. And so unless you were like me, you just were like buddy the elf and assumed you were friends with everybody. Uh, it you know, you could have a little disconnect. And I wonder you take those personalities and their skill sets, put them in a place that like there's no barriers. How many more students would recognize? the gift of the talent that they have that, you know, Arlene Manthe inspired me to change my life course. So like just more people have access to those type of folks, I think is life changing in and of itself. That's exactly it. I mean, I think I couldn't have said it better. And um,
1: you know, the entire time I've used the 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 example of an Apple Store when we're well, I was trying to think to to describe the vision of this building is that when you go to the Apple Store, you're not going into Apple headquarters. You're really going to a building where you're going through your own journey of trying to explore technology that you either are intimidated by or you know really well and you know what to do. But either way, you have people in some cool color shirts uh, around you who are ready to ask you questions and who have their iPads in heads and who are ready to support you. And that's sort of the experience that we're trying to mimic here that we've been inspired by is that uh, we want the student journey to feel that way. And, uh, you know, and it's not that as soon as they come in the, through the door, uh, they're going to have somebody come and ask them what they need. Um, a lot of times they are coming through the door just to find a corner to study. And that's okay. Like we really try to create it as a, a hangout space, but there'll be team members who, are, who will be recognized all around the students. They're life design educators. Students will know who they are because we've, for the last couple of years, we've really built a strong culture where those, those team members are connecting with students. And as they're trying to imagine literally their lives and their careers, et cetera, they have support systems that, that, uh, that do that. So the example you shared is beautiful. And uh, that's exactly what I saw was wrong with the traditional brick and mortar um, uh, uh, culture of, uh, of higher education is that we've put all of these influential people who are there wanting to support people's lives. And we've, we've built buildings that make it impossible to, for, for them to reach. And we're, we're, we're tearing that down. We're using digital, uh, strategies and technology to make that possible. And, uh, we're already making headways even without the building. And I think that's going to be, the Imagine Center is going to even accelerate that, that growth.
0: Well, I, I don't know. Um, I could do an entire podcast conversation with you about this Imagine Center just because of my passion for it and also your passion for it. I don't know if that's appropriate to say, hey, you know, I don't know if springtime or fall, I'll yeah. come to you. Um, you're, I have been to where you are a few times and I would love to come back for a, a different excuse. And so I would love to come tour it and then talk to you more about it if that's okay. Uh, that would make us really happy and would make <laughs> me happy. So you are invited. Let's That do would it. be awesome. All right. Yeah, we'll, maybe, we will,
1: maybe we'll have you at the, the ribbon cutting ceremony. How is that? Well, I,
0: I mean, I, I genuinely am passionate about it. And so don't yeah. obviously um, go too far out of your way for me, but I would love the opportunity to really see it, feel it, and then have you, you know, yes. just us geek out on questions and answers that gives a nights nice more passion about it.
1: Let's do it. Amen.
0: That would be great. So real quick, before I let you go, cause I know I've honored, I try to honor your time. You've given us an hour. And so I want to make sure I, I deliver on that. We have a few questions we're asking every guest at the uh, end of the episode this season, um, just to learn a little bit more about you, but also inspire others to get curious basically. So uh, first question is what habits or disciplines do you have on a daily basis or weekly basis that um, are important for your daily or weekly success? Uh, I pray
1: uh, on a daily basis, and I think that that helps centers me, um, and it reminds me of, of what I am here. And, you know, sometimes I'm right on point, and other times I'm lost, and that's why I need prayer.
0: That's awesome. Um, how about uh, what books either are you have you read recently or just throughout time that have been uh, really impacted your thinking or impacted your life in a certain way? I always come back to John Cotter's book, Leading Change.
1: Um, It's a classic and an oldie, but a really goodie. And I use it every time. I go back and read the whole book cover to cover every time I start a new leadership role. It's eight steps to leading change. And I think, I mean, I've applied it at work for me. I think it's a, a mandatory read for Every new leader before they start their their job, I mean, it, it reminds you of just the strategies that work, but also it humbles you and it centers you and it it, it keeps you focused on um, uh, on people. Um, so I, I I read that um, every single time. But I also think that if you want to lead change in your own life, there are some uh, good insights
0: to 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 get from that. That's great. Um, this I've had unique answers to this from. Uh, I don't really listen to music. I listen to sports uh, talk radio to people saying I listen to Miley Cyrus. I'd never guess listen to Miley Cyrus. So my question for you is: Either when you're working out, walking around campus on your own, uh, driving somewhere, uh, what what type of music or uh, artists are on your playlist?
1: Oh, I. Uh, Maybe this sounds cliche because it's, but I want to say eclectic. I, I let me just use a different word instead of eclectic because it really sounds eclectic. Uh, it, it sounds cliche. Um, I just go through phases and, uh, I have my phases where I just want to put classical music for days, especially when I'm driving. And, um, I have others times where I put on country music and, uh, and other times where I, I'm putting some pop. So I, uh, um, uh, uh it, it depends on the mood that I'm
0: in fascinating yeah i do feel like uh most folks even if it sounded cliche i didn't think it sounded cliche but uh most folks that we've had on our podcast really do have an eclectic mix and that usually they they air to something fitting their mood or where their their head's at during that time so that's yeah that's pretty common (laughs) Oh, good. That makes me feel better. You're you're, you're in good company. Uh, So the last question, and you've left a lot of really good nuggets. I don't want to assume what this advice would be, but uh, folks that are around great leaders often like you are, are communicating, reading, learning, um, come across, you know, a quote that uh, you can't get out of your head. And it could be something you've had for years that you won't let out or something that you've come across recently that has inspired you. What's the best piece of leadership advice or a quote that you've heard that really sticks with you and motivates you?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I think that it's a quote that I shared earlier and I want to bring it back. I mean, I live by it that if the, uh, the path before you is clear, you're probably on someone else's. Yeah. And it reminds me, it's helpful to me to go back to that quote when I get frustrated, um, by the lack of clarity in front of me, you know, like, or by just sometimes like you feel like you're lost in your own path or you're trying to do something and it's not working. And then, you know, I'm, i even have that on my LinkedIn profile. I have it on my desk and I just try to go back to that and say, yeah, there's a reason for that. I mean, it's hard because we're trying to blaze a new path and we're trying to create something new and, um, um that, that, that makes it all worth it.
0: I I love it. Again, I was hoping you would come back to uh, (laughs) one of the quotes from earlier because I feel like that is so powerful. Um, And everyone can really quickly identify if they're on a clear path or not. And that should, as I've learned today, spark my curiosity and follow that versus trying to figure out what my passion is. Um, This has been an awesome conversation. I can't thank you enough for making time for us. As you could tell, I sincerely mean we could talk for another hour or two, a whole hour on Imagine Center. So if we have that opportunity, I'd feel really honored and blessed to be able to do that with you.
1: I would love to, to, to do that. And thank you so much for uh, uh, inviting me and ma- making me part of your, uh, your uh, community today. And uh, much appreciation to your audience for tuning in.
0: Yeah. So if real quickly, uh, before we let you go, uh, if uh, some uh, an audience member wants to learn more about who you are or what your organization is doing, what's the best way for folks to find you? So I'm on um, uh, almost all of the social media that,
1: that you can find, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, you know, just under my name, uh, you won't find a lot of other people with, <laughs> with, with a similar name. So if you just look up my name on uh, uh, Twitter, or LinkedIn, or if you just Google it, you, you might land on my email and any of those work and I respond uh, to those i'm um, happy to connect with anyone who's uh, interested in learning more and i'll learn from them too and i learned a lot from youtube today so thank you so much for this opportunity
0: oh this was awesome thank you so much we'll be in touch all right take care please support us by subscribing to our youtube channel uh podcasts on apple or spotify and help us celebrate the beautiful messy work of shaping human potential